Hi, Ryan. Hello, Rachel. How you doing? Oh, wow. That's a difficult question. There's so many emotions swirling within me because we're talking about a very important episode of Babylon 5. It's also important for our podcast because we're wrapping up another season, but overall I'm feeling uh, very keen and uh, very uh, in the zone. Energized? Energized is also a way of describing my mood, yes. What about yourself? I am just... Just ready to be immersed in B five. That, no, no, not Discovery. You don't want to go back and redo Discovery, Star Trek Discovery. I feel I, like I, we I, could do I, season one again, but better this time. What do no. you think? No, just a no. But uh, Rachel, please uh, walk us all through what we are doing today for those who are coming in first time, or those who are just. Hungry to hear the lore of the podcast all over again. Everybody sit down. Rachel's going to pour you a nice cup of tea as she goes through this. I promise I'm not spilling it. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Come on, quickly now. It's getting cold. (laughs) So we are... The yumlings. We're the yumlings. We're we're two of the yumlings. I didn't know we counted as yumlings. I thought they were the yumlings, the people listening. But you're right. We're the yum yum hosts. We're the hosts. We bring the yum yum. So you admit it. So you admit that we bring the yum yum. She's biting her lip and looking away from me in anger because I got her to admit it on the pod. That's recorded. Damn it. That's recorded. Anyway, we're the hosts of this here podcast, Yum Yum Pod, and this particular show is where we look at episodes of Babylon 5. On the next Babylon 5. Oh, my yum yum. Uh, That's because uh, we were changed. (laughs) The... Universe was altered by the line yum yum being uttered in Star Trek Discovery. Star Trek Discovery uttered the line yum yum. I, I want to shout the phrase Not yum yum. So, from... The ship didn't do it. What was that? You said Discovery uttered. And I just wanted to point yes. out that there was a character. Was, it was not. It was not Zora that said. Oh God, Rachel! Don't just don't don't just start don't just start dropping discovery law like everybody cares. Um. So yeah, we named the podcast after Yum Yum. We look at things from a Yum Yum point of view. We ask questions such as who in this episode of Babylon Five, the episode Zaha Doom the season finale of season three, would have said yum yum if given the chance or they had Y-Y-E, yum yum energy. Rachel? Justin. Look, I appreciate Justin's output of Y-Y-E was very high. I am just going to say his the, the person's name because it is this person, but we, we put them off the bench because they, they always have it. Morden. Yes. Yes. It, 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 for a fact, 
certified. In fact, there's just even just in having the tea. The, if you、mm-hmm. just said yum yum, I feel I feel like it could work. And Anna Anna had some Y Y E at all points. Of the, all of the shadow, shadow people. In fact, can we no longer call it the Shadow War, but the Yum Yum War? Because no, they're all warring for Yum Yum energy in this television Not series. Not if you still want me to host this. Has there been a character in the show that hasn't displayed Y Y E at any point? Is it Franklin? Evil Franklin did, but I don't know if、yeah. regular Franklin. Maybe in one or two little moments. I swear we have given him Y Y E in the past, but I'm sure that there's somebody,、uh, Warren Keffer, perhaps. No, he was nothing but that. But、uh, let's get into the Garibaldi. Gar- oh, Garibaldi is defined by Y Y E. But let's just get into the topic of discussion today. And as we have stated, it is episode twenty-two of season three, the finale, known as Zaha Doom, and. The DVD description is what re- we read from, and it is written as such: the shadows send an unexpected emissary to Sheridan, the commander's wife, who supposedly died on the Icarus. Her mission: bring Sheridan to Zahadum for a high-level meeting with shadow leaders. Oh, those shadow leaders! In fact, there's even a a middleman in there, a man in between,、uh, waiting to、uh, be Sheridan's counterpart. Rachel <laughs> Zahadum is a、uh, well-received episode, a critically acclaimed episode. It is often in the top five rated of、uh, Babylon Five as an overall series. But what has been your relationship and attitudes towards it? I find it really hard to remember the first time watching this episode because it's just. So much, and so simple, and it's each time it feels fresh to me. So I, I'm like, yeah, it's a hard one, baby. It's good. It's good. Any particular things that、uh, stick with you when it comes to this? Dylan crying and touching the view screen.、Mm. Um, when it's playing, he's from... delayed message. Yeah. Um, that is, is it because it gets you in the heart. Yes, it gets me in the heart, and it also it gets me in the head because he's just like, if I go, I might avoid this, and it's like, no, no, John, that's. I have, you, a, I have a whole, you, I have a whole section in our discussion called Sheridan's logic slash going to Zahadum. So、uh, yeah, I underline that in my brain as well.、Uh, yeah, for myself, Zahadum is a complicated mistress of an episode. I watched this all those years ago without engaging in any of the. Uh, community. Only my family and I were the people who I knew watched this show, so we all had similar opinions, or sometimes differing, but nothing drastic. So I don't know when I was. I didn't know when I was viewing this.、Uh, this back in yesteryear, which were the popular episodes and which weren't. You can tell which are because 
they just stick out so much, and oftentimes a season finale is a big deal. But I walk away from this one many times over feeling very middling.、Uh, it leaves me、uh, with not a lot.、Uh, there's stuff that it sets up, of course, and stuff that it answers. This is an episode that sits down and says, "Okay." We've been toying with you for three years about why any of this is happening. Here's why it's happening, and I very much, as a viewer, appreciate the information. But there's just certain parts of Zaha Doom as an episode that just don't click for me. That、mm. feel uh, very—it's、uh, a stretch to get to certain places, and. There's just、yeah. there's choices made that don't sit well with me、But、overall. Also, yeah, it's just like this isn't as tight as it could be. I remember feeling this way a lot, which is to do very specifically with the editing during the final sequence when it like it when it does cut back to Delenn. I'm like. She's still watching this. Yeah, like just the timing of that cutback is very... the dramatic plays that are being had here. Yeah, it's like oh, oh, this doesn't fully line up. Yeah, I if I had to quickly summarize some of the issues that I have had, and we will get into details in our discussion if they still hold up or not. But、uh, Anna, she's just. Oh, I whatever, whatever. I've never really gotten anything out of the character or the performance, and it hinges on that. And a lot of the, <sighs> it's one of those times where it's like, yeah, the original version of this would have been better. I don't, I don't even know that. But what I do know is that well, this has you at least would have known this has been something that has impeded me on other viewings and. It's not even just the performance, but it just is this Anna character because she's a non-character. She hasn't had to be. She's been something that has defined a backstory for our lead, and now they come here and it's given all of this weight. But I have not felt that weight、uh, overall. And the other thing that has often held me back is it falls into the trap that Babylon Five has. Successfully been avoiding since I would say early season two, which is to dispense information to us. It's just time for the writer JMS to sit the audience down and just read them the the Bible <laughs> of、yeah. the show to explain to the audience why anything's happening. And I feel like exposition has been dispensed in B five so much cleaner, better. better. Yeah, I think. I a problem that I have with this episode is that it very clearly had an end point in mind, and it works to get there, yeah. Rather than working out a story to be told, this is a lot more isolated and self-contained in terms of、uh, focus on character. Yeah, it really、yeah. felt like in season two. There was so many things, and Chrysalis as as a finale, 
everyone was having a, a piece of action to do and a piece of action that will lead the audience into more drama with those characters in the season to come. Here it is very much Sheridan-focused. Yes. Sheridan-focused mm-hmm. and everybody else is second or third to that. I I almost forgot to write down Garibaldi in my notes because he is here. He goes missing. And he goes missing at the end, but... There were many moments within Zahadum that I was looking at it going, this this would have Garibaldi do this in this episode, but he's not here for some reason. The, the fact that Sheridan's uh, dead wife has returned from Zahadum on a alien ship and Garibaldi hasn't taken her in for any... And then there's, no, there's no real big hoopla from him about security stuff that she should go through is completely insane to me, by the way. Yeah, that's just forgotten. Left alone. Mm. And it, it it's frustrating when it has those glaring omissions because usually it's so attentive to fine details as a show. This has to get to the end game as you stated earlier it has to get to this envisioned point of the story and so we have to push those things that would naturally be here because of the series we've written so far we have to push those to the side because they will intrude upon that and i i see the writer's hands captain i heard about well i heard about anna anything i can do no thank you that situation is well in hand. So Londo has been promoted and he's not happy about it. Not happy about it at all. How's he coping with it? By drinking, of oh, course. Oh, good for him. <laughs> he gets to enjoy it for now. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that nice? <laughs> this is the only scene he's in, right? Yeah. Just a touch base. He's here too, guys. Yeah. Um, and Fia sits down and he's just like, hey, Londo, what's up, you butt? You got some mail yesterday and you've been pissed ever since. And luckily, Londo has it right there in front of him. I believe that he would. (laughs) This is a thing that I 100% believe from the character, yes, and they don't need to explain it any no. further. The fact that he has it in front of him as he drinks, it is a relationship that Londo has with himself that I know to be true three seasons in, that mm. he would take the thing that's hurting him with him to the bar so that he can look at it and get hurt more and drink more and be more annoyed. Look at it with disdain. Yes. Uh, the physical object carries importance. Mm. Um. And then Londo explains, gosh darn it, fear I've been promoted. And he's pissed about it because it's a leash. And he should have been offered it 20 years ago. When he could have appreciated it. When I could have appreciated it. And when when I should have also been appreciated, that's also an undercurrent of what he's talking about, but now... They're scared of me, so they're going to... They're putting me on a leash so that I'm less likely to turn against Katarja mm-hmm. and also less able to. They can have control over me in the royal court. This is 
uh, a power uh, move. This power dynamic has been firmly placed within the Centauri royal court because what we saw with uh, uh, Emperor Turhan, where he lived a life of no choices because he didn't even think to make any, but he was contained within a system that made sure he did things a certain way. Now, Londo is being contained in that system as well, but by uh, one where if he doesn't do the things they want, he will get his his throat slit because... Those are the good old ways of dealing with things. That is, uh, Roman ways. That is part of what he wanted. And and this is setting up all of the stuff that he will be having to deal with in the beginnings of season four. But just for for looking at it in this isolated episode. I think it's a beautiful way to conclude Londo throughout this season in which he's done all of these horrendous things. He's he's hurt so many people, including himself, for what he would consider noble reasons. But on the face of it, as well as from what we really know, large portions of it stems from personal ambition, the ambition for more power, for more respect, to be taken seriously. And now that has all come home to roost. He's getting bored into heel. That's that's what it is. He wants to be noticed, and he's been noticed, but in a way that is going to harm him and his independence, which is the Londo character in a nutshell. He's a man who, when we start the series, he has all the choices in the world, but no power. And then by the end of the show, he has all the power he could ever want, but no no choices. choices. And we are seeing that begin to form very strongly here, even though this is one scene in this episode. And it really serves for two reasons in the show, this scene. Number one, to give us a little bit of an avenue of where we could go with Londo in the next season, and the other reason being to have him be warned but letting us, the audience, know that the shadows will attack or will come to Babylon 5 today in this episode. Yeah. Those are the real reasons that the scene exists on a functional level, but just looking at it uh, at that more expansive and character-driven level... There's a lot to really appreciate about it when you're when you're looking back at it. I I I I'm I'm not foolish to say that when you see a scene like this, you as a viewer get a tinge of sadness because you know how this road is going to go down for Londo, don't you? Yeah, it's just like it doesn't make me that sad for Londo in this moment, but for Via. Because Via wants to help. He is there to support Londo. And we know what that does to Via. Yes, he has to commit certain acts that will haunt him. But it is interesting to think about how Londo is being sealed into the fate that we know will be for him. And that is... Also, what Sheridan is doing in the main plot is he thinks by doing this, I don't even think that Sheridan fully believes what he's doing is going to change that future, but there is the 
a law that our actions are going to somehow defeat the destiny that has been foretold. And we see oftentimes in the fate versus free will stories how, and and with time travel stuff and prophecies, that things like what's happening with Londo, you, you just go, this is just one step forward towards that dark future that we've seen. And that's where that tinge of sadness can come from. But also, there's an excitement because I know that this is a step closer to the Kataja episodes, which are a joy to watch. It's not a reward, it's a leash. I have to divide my time between here and the home world. They're reeling me in. They will watch me very carefully. And if I do anything suspicious, they will find me in the morning with my throat slit ear to ear. Zaha Doom as an episode has a lot of internal setting up of the threat and paying off of things as well. So running through most of this from the very beginning of Anna being here, you you get this sense that the shadows are going to make a play here that isn't just mess with Sheridan personally. They've, they've got something going on and and we know to expect that from them not just because we like you know we've seen it we we've gotten a, a a feel for the way that they go about things but also because they're like and i guess thought of the sibling race to the Vorlons and what that's what the Vorlons are like in lots of cases as well you as a as somebody who has been looking at Babylon 5 for what is it like 66 episodes maybe mm. at this point you do want the shadows to come to Babylon 5 at some point we've been promised it we've been shown alternative futures of it, prophecies of it. I want to see it. I want to asking wanna... in the show. When's it going like, to happen? We're, we're, we're sitting ducks. We're just here. And they haven't done anything to us. Why? It's an obvious payoff to something that has been set up over several episodes now it's where they've been building. It's been building. They've been telling us and we have been wanting the shadows to come to Babylon 5 but just the image of seeing those shadow ships fly over the station going mm-hmm. past Epsilon 3 and having the Star Furies fly directly at those vessels there's there's so many things that goes through the mind when you are viewing this because it's haunting, it's scary, there's a level of unnatural because you see these metal, these these man-made vessels flying against these organic, creepy, Cthulian nightmares who, when we see these ships normally, they just destroy they just attack. There's so really no cat such and mouse game. Tension in them just appearing and not attacking. That's it. The, the the silence, the lack of action, makes the tensions higher than if they just came in and started blasting. Yeah, it makes it feel unique. It's very effective. Mm. It's, it's it's super effective. A 
very daring choice for your finale. Oh, but it is one that is textbook. It doesn't cheat you. Babylon no. 5 isn't cheating you here. There's a rule of thumb, I feel, that some writers uh, have, which is if the audience figures things out, then we need to rework the thing so we can outsmart and outplay the viewers. But It has to be a surprise for it to be successful. Yes, to pull the wool for- over the audience's eyes or to kick them off their chair and go, ha, see what I did there? But I, and and you do as well, we both really appreciate that Babylon 5 as a, as, a, as, a, as a show, as a piece of entertainment, doesn't feel the need to do that. JMS probably knows that, hey, many people are going to expect the Shadows to come to Babylon 5, the station, at the end of the season. So what? It's, it's a good idea. Mm-hmm. Just do it. It Just makes do it. sense. Yeah. It, like, certain things make sense, and they're a good narrative decision. There are many moments within the story that are heavily telegraphed, and it lets us know what's happening. And there is a debate to oh, be made. Oh, is there foreshadowing. And there's foreshadowing. And there is a debate to be made that there could be more clever ways or more subtle uh, nuanced ways of doing that, such as they literally set up a Chekhov's gun at the beginning of this with the nukes, and then they use mm-hmm. them at the end. And I have some minor frustrations with that in this episode, but at the same time, if it's entertaining... It does its job. If it's entertaining, it's entertain- entertaining. Like Sometimes you don't need it to be so, so clever for John to use the method he knows best nukes to win the day uh, that's good enough for me or the shadows coming to Babylon 5 and not actually getting to attack Babylon 5 because of the incident back on Zaha Doom so they fly off that's also something that I expect to happen because you can't have them just blow up Babylon 5 at the end of season 3 of 5 seasons you know that they can't do that but you have to still find a way where they can't do that so they also have that line where oh we can't get through to Dral because they're blocking us, but, you know, Dral can't see them. Mm, mm, what, is Dral not noticing that he's being jammed? Uh, but that's fine, because what we get instead is some character-based stuff. Ivanova's freaking out, Jakar's freaking out, Garibaldi gets taken away, which mm-hmm. I like how they they demonstrated that, just a literal shadow going over Garibaldi's face and you know that shit's going to go down and then later on we see his staff viewer inside of one of the shadow ships Mm -hmm. and you just know, okay, they got him. Mm -hmm. Why? How did they know to get him? What are they going to do with him? Is he going to be okay? Mm -hmm. Where are they taking him? You're left with all those questions. Yeah, because they don't make a big deal about the fact that he's going out in a star fury. No, it's just just expected. Yeah. And there's other things that are that are paid off that have been brought into the fold of the the series, such as the implants that the shadows use when they're merging people with their ships, and how there's the medical re- uh, the, the the medical information and records and records that Franklin has gathered from that, and they use it back in this one to show us and Sheridan and Franklin. Anna Vonova and so many people that Anna 
was put into one of those one of those ships. So she's not she's not okay. She's not right. No, she is not truly herself. Well, I have a mixed opinion on that. I like it and I hate it, but it at least excuses why Anna is so overtly creepy and weird and beyond reasonable. There's a level to the Anna character where there's an artifice, an overt artifice of her putting on mm. the smiley face, but she isn't very uh, convincing, and it's because, well, her brain's all screwed up, yeah, and she's you can crazy evil. It for things because there's a possible, there's a blatant reason why she's not acting normal. She's not normal anymore. But she is back. Mm-hmm. She's back, and in black. Did you note that down? She's all in black. So, Anna Sheridan, what do you think overall? She, like, it makes sense, but it doesn't feel good. Why? What's lacking? Well, I don't give a shit about her, and I want her to be dead, because... You care about the sheridan Delenn romance? Yes. Um... And I'm also like, I wish that they did more, but I also wish that this wasn't a thing at the same time. I I wish that it was a bigger deal that she came back. I wish that we got to see more of the implications and the reality of that the way that we did with Morden. There's not enough time. That, That is what I've pinpointed down for me, is with Anna, there's just not enough time to There's not truly enough time, time given to it. Yeah. To truly savour what would be the personal woes and trauma and conflict that would Bruce spawn does his from... Best he does his best it. in the minimal amount of time that his character is allowed to focus on that because Sheridan has to quickly pivot into a different direction with it all, but... He has to roll with it. Anna, for me, is a bit of a blank slate or a nothing or a void because as a... I've watched Sheridan agonize over this at, at several points to the to a degree in which he was willing to uh let go of his the chain of command and hurt his own friends on Babylon 5 because he loves his wife so much and he needs to know what happened to her and he whole episodes were dedicated to that to that yet in this where she returns and at the most crucial time in his development of grief where he's let go and now he's forming a new relationship and he's comfortable being the leader of this alliance and you really do think to yourself this is like they say from the shadows this is going to kick over the ant's nest here and I I just don't think there's that much time dedicated to that specifically because there's so much of it you know that... You don't get to feel the weight of it. You've been told it and you know it because of other episodes, but you don't get it in this episode. I am too aware 
even from that first viewing, that the drama that's here is only there because it has to be. But what we're really here for is him to go to Zaha Doom and him to find out the Shadow Law and for him to die and for him to get all the clues and information. The setup needs to be done. And Anna is a means to an end for that. And that's, that's in the text. That's why she's here. She's been sent here because she's the only person reasonably who could convince him to come back. But by God, I I I I just want to languish more heavily in the repercussions of her coming back into his life in this moment. To have more conversations between him and Delenn or him talking about Delenn and her choices and her actions and him having a conversation or two more with Garibaldi about it. Because Garibaldi had majorly locked horns with him in season two when he went full mad captain locking up Morden because of his dead wife. And Garibaldi just kind of wanders in and goes, like, halfway through the episode and goes, oh, geez, Captain, I heard about your wife. And it's like, it's like oh, just now heard. Okay, we're going to do some shady stuff and a... Talk about the weather? Oh, what? That was your code, your secret little code. Is a factor to the lack of, I don't know, dramatic weight given from yeah, Anna. It's not hefty. Hefty. Is a part of it for you the lack of chemistry between... Anna and John, and I'm not even talking about romantic chemistry, but even just dramatic chemistry, where you want to watch these two talk to each other, because if I'm being honest, I don't really care. Anytime they talk to each other, I, I, I'm I, not interested. I don't find it convincing. I don't find it very uh, you know, enthralling. I, I, just because people are married doesn't mean that they have on-screen chemistry, and that's that's the lesson in many, many people in the entertainment industry need to learn. This is not the first example, won't be the last. Even alone, even in Babylon 5, alone. <laughs> I do struggle with it because also that actress is given a script in which her character is overtly tempting him to a dark side dark side and to and she's clearly insane and evil and so it's a very one note character yeah by design even when she is trying to play up the i'm your wife don't you love me the writing still has her as a villainous portrayal at all times her commentary about delen and how it's you and me john and we got to do this and ah uh, don't you get it john there's so much research and I couldn't come back to you because I just didn't realize it's it's always coming from a, a antagonistic perspective. There's mm. never even just a, a moment of of real from her. Like, and oh, I, I like even even just an embrace of the two of them. Like they don't even have to kiss because I think um I like for me personally. Like the times where we've gone like a couple of weeks without seeing each other, the thing that I'm most excited to do is to hug you. 
and to be like in enveloped in yeah. each other. And that could have been a great conflict on just an acting level or visual level of where she wants to touch him and he doesn't want to be touched because this mm-hmm. is freaking him out so much. I think Bruce is giving that, honestly. When he first sees her, he really recoils into himself. Yeah. And Bruce is really giving us the, the that. lip wobble that he gives. And and just it how serves. messed up his hair is and just these bewildered uh, looks. Yeah. He's unsettled. And it's not a position that we've seen him in. He doesn't have command of the situation. That really unsettles you as a viewer. If this is a trick, I'm going to take it out of somebody's hide. But if it's not, and that really is Anna, I have to know, Stephen. The show has a get-out-of-jail-free card for all of this, which is... She's no longer the Anna Sheridan he knew. She's this crazy, insane person who was plugged into a spaceship and taken out of it, and she's been sent here with only one goal in mind. And, yeah, that's that's in the text. That's that's how they justify it. And guess what? I'm, gonna, I'm just going to lay it down right now. I don't like that. Not that she got plugged in. I don't like that they get out a jail free card by saying, my Anna, she would never have teamed up with you guys. And it's like, oh yeah, you're right. She actually didn't want to. She was actually a good person like you thought, John. And we just shoved her into a ship and then we took her out again and she's evil and we gave her a new personality. And uh, she even does in her last moments like, I may not be your Anna, but you'll learn to love me. I would rather have lived in the drama in which his wife, the scientist, the explorer, the the adventurer, did join the shadows because was convinced. was convinced. And what would that be? And why did she choose that? And how can she convince Sheridan to fall in line like she did? I would watch a whole episode of that. But instead, we can't have that because we have to give that to Justin, who's a guy we don't know either. Like, we don't know. Like, we don't know Anna, but we at least understand what she is in relationship to the main character. So you could play around with that. But Mm. even as just the seductress, the temptress, the person to bring him back... I would have really I would have really appreciated one or two moments in which she played up the I'm your wife, don't you love me come back instead of the clear evil that she had. There was no moment of even a a playing up of their 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 former connection to one another. There's no oh, you can see the chemistry that these two used to have and she's manipulating him with it right now. It's always this rictus grin and don't you want to join the spider people, John? They're so nice. And it's like, no, Anna, that's not a really good ploy to get him to come back with you. No, it's not. And it's really dull. Like, it's really dull. Why? Why is it dull for you? Because it, it, it lacks substance. It lacks interest. And one reason for that is, like, the lack of time, which we've talked about in terms of the episode, but also going back to the fact that it has an end point in mind. You know that she's going to be dead by the end of the episode. She's disposable. 
yeah, it's just like they're not gonna bring her back and and deal with this. It does not have that feeling about it. You, you can tell. Even on first watch, it's just like, okay, Anna's back for this episode. To do this thing. She's a narrative trap card. The weight that I felt from this more than anything else, more than the shadow law, more than seeing Morden drink tea and smile like a kind gentleman from the 18th century, more Jakar's than... Jakar's weapon dealings coming back? More than Jakar's weapon dealings coming back was the conflict between John and Delenn about Anna returning and how Delenn doesn't even need to say it out loud, but she admits it through her actions here that she still would not have told John if she did know for a fact Anna was alive. And why would she be like that? We know why, because we know the character well enough at this point, but the fact that that is something inherently flawed about her as a person, that would forever be a, a, a roadblock in this relationship, and seeing how much it tears John apart to find all of this out and to find that side of her out, that? And to know that their relationship is not just strained, but fundamentally changed by that revelation because he says, how can I ever trust you again, knowing that you would keep this from me? It is a great thing to give as a kink into their relationship. We've talked about in previous discussions that they don't often do these big dramatic swerves with the John Delenn relationship, especially up until this point, where they're just going to delay it like, say, Farscape does with John and Aaron Sun, right? They always have something up their sleeve as writers to make it so that those two characters and won't get together until the oh, very end of the show. Oh, there's a surprise hurdle. Oh, there's a surprise hurdle. Wouldn't you know it? Uh, he had an affair and got a woman pregnant. Or oh, wouldn't you know it that uh, some crap that these these series always do. And this is the crap that they've brought in with with Babylon Five. And it doesn't last long, so it isn't an, an, an annoyance. But what I appreciate about it is it is true to both characters. Both characters are reacting and saying the things and being who they are. Yeah. How do you feel about, let's go with Delenn and how she goes about all of this. She's a very internalized yeah. character. So what do you think? It, it's very interesting to see how Delenn is reacting to all of this and the way that Mira Falan shows that true pain that true pain that comes through in her performance is amazing you are confronted as is Sheridan that there's stuff about Delenn that hasn't changed mm -hmm. she's been so bubbly and 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 sweet and the moral compass but but, but 
Yeah, the motor, but 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 in recent times, with then the rock cried out, "No hiding place!" Where she grabs John out of the war room because he's starting to think like the enemy, and you can't be like that. And there's so many tender, humanizing things that's happened to Delend, but this secretive cold streak that was running throughout all of season one, Shady Delend, Shady Delend, that hasn't that hasn't evaporated. No. That's still a part of who she is. It's just not at the forefront. It does feel a bit like a backslide in her character, but it's so logical at the same time. But I think it just feels like going backwards because we don't want her to go back to being shady, Mm. Delenn. We want her to be partners with John and to be, like, effectively and openly communicating. John is going to do what he does in this episode. That's the fear, that you are too important, John. You are the the, the pivotal person. You're the big player in this war. We need you to be here. And if you know that Anne is there, or even if you suspect it, you will go and die yeah. and everything will fall apart. And so her Which concern... What the shadows want. And that's what makes it a complication where she's fallen in love and has made a personal relationship with him. Because when it was Sinclair in season one and she treated him like this, and we, we were talking about B5 in the way that it panned out, not in whatever original plan there was going to be, because obviously Sinclair would be where Sheridan is right now, right? And we and we know that Anna Sheridan would have most likely have been Catherine Sakai. But we're talking about where we are now and what we've got. Her relationship with Sinclair was at a distance where she could do these things and yeah. not feel personal grievances about playing him and about twisting him and lying and obfuscating him because she knew he had a purpose and a fate and a destiny and and all of those things. She knows those things as well with John. She can treat John the exact same way, but now it hurts and she feels the the actual ownership of her actions because she has grown close to John. Yeah. It, it, yeah, it hurts her to do these things. But she still is in the those set of convictions but, to continue yeah. doing them, as she says. Like, she would still be willing to hold this back from him. Yeah. And the fact that she's not willing to lie about it is... Like, I don't even know how much of that is just her Minbari sensibilities mm. of refute. Like, they don't lie unless they say face. Yeah. So, yeah. So it feels like she doesn't want to have to say it because a part of her, I think, is ashamed of it but also wishing that John knew her well enough not to ask. I also look at it as, and this has happened to to me and to the people I interact with, whether it be in a relationship like with you or with family, but a certain crisis comes up or a certain uh, disagreement or a butting of heads or a difference of opinions and ideology, and within that you or the person you're opposite of 
realize in that moment that this is their point of view, and they haven't really confronted that before, and it can be rather daunting. For her, I look at it very much as this is something that she hasn't really had to contend with, but now that it's here, now that it's at her feet, she knows within herself that, yeah, I would keep this from you. Even at this point in our relationship, I would keep this from you. And even though she knows that's what she would do or she believes that's what she would do, doesn't mean it doesn't hurt her as well that, geez, I would actually do that and I would hurt you for the greater good. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a that's a that's quite a quite a lot to to go through, and we see how it really hurts Sheridan. And uh, you want to talk about Bruce's acting through all of these scenes? Jeez, he he really brought it this week, especially for those scenes. He he is just batting it at a hundred ten percent. He he is knocking it out of the park. Home run. He's embodying the character and the emotions that John is feeling in that moment and conveying the complications and the layers of those emotions. Like, the way that he's gasping when he's trying, like, he's reaching out, trying to figure out what words to say and which one of them to talk to before Delenn leaves of, like, do I deal with this thing? Do I deal with this thing? Which thing comes first? What should I do? I can rely on Garibaldi. (laughs) I really want to commend Bruce Boxleitner for this part of his, his range as an actor rage. He has to hone in on the rage of Sheridan in this episode, and the word I would not use for the rage that could have easily been played and would have been something the audience would buy, indignant. This is not indignant rage. This is justifiable, justifiable rage, but it is collected rage. It is calm and collected. He is hurt, but he is trying to see it from all of these people's perspectives and sides, but also as the captain of the station and as the leader of this army. When Anna is getting examined and he's talking to Franklin, he's all business. And you know he's being all business for practicality sense, but also he's fucking pissed. He is pissed it's also off. Self-preservation as well of like multitudes. There's all of these different things going on, and that relies on Bruce as an actor. When he yells at Delenn, when he lashes out, when he pushes back against her, it is a tricky thing to do because we like Delenn. And on a face value, a, a, a guy, a military guy, screaming his head off at this woman could make him even momentarily unsympathetic. There are times in these shows where that can happen, even if you understand why that person's doing it, and you just go, "That look, okay. Like, there's a little part of you that ridges up at that. None of that exists for me with John here. I, he, I, I, I get he, it. I'm he's him. He's wounded. 
but he's he's not really angry at her, as no. we see later on. He demonstrates that in the conversation. But Bruce's acting doesn't it, it, it tells us that without telegraphing it, without waving the flag in the air. It is it is real. It feels real and it feels raw. And that's why the Anna stuff really stands out because his interactions with her don't feel real like his interactions with Delenn here. Bruce does great work with that. Great work with that. He cannot sell John's dumbass fucking reason for going to Zaha Doom. It doesn't even look like he actually believes it, and I don't know if that's Bruce or John. He has this time travel adventure. He sees a dark future for Centauri Prime. He's told explicitly what has happened, and that they won the war, and you can't change that because the alternative would be worse. But hey, John, don't go to Zaha Doom, okay? Don't go. Listen to me, Delenn. I've told you everything else that you've learned as well. I'm telling you this. And he walks away from that being, oh, well, this timeline must be where I didn't go to Zaha Doom. You dumb fuck. You dumb, thick fuck. Now, to to give credit where credit is due, Bruce's performance, and within the script, I do think there is a, a, a level of him bullshitting there, where he goes, look, yeah. I know that this isn't true, and I know that what I'm going into is an obvious trap, trap, but I must do this anyway because I must know the truth. He's more driven by the need to know the answers, to to meet the enemy and find out what is going on because people like Delenn and Kosh have lied to him, have withheld yeah, the ob- truth. Obfuscated. They have deceived him, so he wants to take charge of his destiny, just like we have been saying about Londo and many others. They want to change the fate of things, and even if he doesn't fully believe the idea that he had about the future that he talked about with that leap and logic that we find so hilarious. And isn't it on brand for Sheridan, though? That's the thing, too. That's the annoying yeah. thing is that dumb logic is so is, Sheridan, yes. though. Because he, yeah. he's a bit of a dum-dum sometimes, that guy. He's Mr. I want to feel the stars beneath my feet and get abducted by aliens so I can swing a sword around. I gotta go Pipe out fight. for a walk. I gotta go out for a walk, Delenn. He he can be a bit thick sometimes. He's 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 a good old country boy, and uh, that's how I would describe him. So this leap in logic is it out of character for him? It's not out of the realm of possibility, but I still don't like it. It's too big of a pill to swallow. Yeah, and why does I mean? There's no point, though, where Anna gives him a reason to go to Zaha Doom. It's more... I've been sent here to come get you. Come with me. What convinces him in in my book is the confirmation that she was put into one of those ships. And he wants to have a go at them for doing that. Because when we get to Zaha Doom... When he plays that card, that's when Bruce and and Sheridan really snap into gear, and you know that is a driving factor for why they walked in. 
to this building right now. And it's him returning to Captain Sheridan, not John. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. Yeah, he's 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 uh, going back to uh, soldier boy Sheridan he's with his nukes military tactic, and. He goes to Zaha Doom, and here's another strike I have against Zaha Doom as an episode. And I, I do want to flag up right now. I, I do like this one. I do like it as an episode, but There's I just have more stuff I have, that doesn't work. I have and... faults with it, frustrations. It's probably my probably my least favorite season finale. If I had to rank them, this would be the bottom season finale I would pick. But Another strike I have against it, and I, I rarely ever complain about the budgetary stuff of B5, I understand it, but I do not like the set that they go into when it's Zaha Doom. I just never, never, never liked it. I don't like the doors that slide up. I don't. Plywood everywhere and bits of cardboard. It The looks... teapot. The teapot. I can't. I can't abide the big teapot. I, lo- I can't. I okay, can't. Okay. We're, we're going to the spider planet and they've got fucking teapots. And I can't. Something about no, that. But, no, but, so there's something uh, that I liked about the teapots. Yes, go on. And it's really. I it's like. Is it the design of it? The pattern? No. Sort of. <laughs> sort of, but yes, actually. It, it, it's not because I like the aesthetic. It's because the teapot looks like it has, like it's been mended with gold yeah. in the Japanese style, which I, I, I won't look up the name of it because I can't remember it right now. But the idea that like the more that something breaks and rejoins, the more beautiful it is, and that really aligns with. The shadows. I love you. I love you. I just think that the prop department found a teapot that had some black and white on it with some jaggedy. Okay, you you and your gold. You're pretty sure. I'm not, but I just an issue I have with the set too. You're going to the spooky shadow planet. You're meeting Mister Morden there. He's all spooky for us. It's been built. No, 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 no. That's fine. It's brightly. And colourfully lit. Yes, because it's been built for humans. No, 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 no. I don't care. It's underground. <laughs> I. That's the thing. It's underground. This is the planet of the spider people, and we're hanging out with the villainous people, <gasps> one of which is Mr. Morden, who we often see bathed in red light yeah. when we meet him. And we're in a very brightly lit, happy-go-lucky locale. And there's a dissonance in my brain when that happens, and also the fact that it is so brightly lit shows off the cheapness of the set. Unlike when we're on Babylon 5, where they have a certain type of lighting and certain colours for those sets, those walls, they have textures to them. But here, it always it always is a sticking point for me. I just go, oh, I, I get embarrassed, honestly, mm. where we enter this little set and there's a shitty little coffee table with a teapot there, some just chairs, and a door that slides up and down awkwardly. And a shadow comes out of it later. I I don't know. There's just something about it that it rubs me up raw. Well, it's really simple. You bring two sides together. They fight. A lot of them die. 
but those who survive are stronger, smarter, and better. I hate Justin. I think this is such a cop out, such a lazy thing. I, 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 no, no, no. This is not commentary about the actor. He does the best he can, and he's a credible actor to pick. He has connections in sci-fi, and he's a legendary actor. No problem with him. It's just the the concept of Justin, the payoff to this. Uh, uh, the man in the middle is looking for you, your counterpart. Crap. That, but just, Justin is a device. That's all he is. He's just a, he just comes across to me, he might as well be a tube that just shoots out the exposition into our brains. He, he's not a person to me. He's just, uh, again, a means to an end. Yeah. I, I despise Justin. I always think that Justin's going to be set up in one way or another, but he's really, really not. And I don't, I get it, but I also don't get it as to why it's not just Morden. They have him say, I'm a middleman, so that the audience can go, oh, he's the man in the middle looking for him. Because without that line... Without that line, I I really think that we wouldn't even consider this to be that man. To be his opposite, to be the other hand to Sheridan. I, I, yeah. I don't. No. I really don't. I know that he's ideologically opposed to Sheridan, but I, I, I don't know anything about him. No. That's the thing. I don't know anything about the dude. Who gives a shit? He I just don't. tells me shadow lore, and that's cool. But yeah, why can't it be Anna? Morden gets a bunch of the coolest lines. Yeah, like that. They, they even think that if they touch something of full-on technology, they'll die. Yeah, that was Anna who said that. I'm pretty sure because she was on the White Star. But uh, I get your point. Justin's not without good lines and good uh, information that's dropped. But uh, what do you think about Justin overall? Do you remember your overall reactions to this to this? Because B5 can throw random crap at you like this and it sticks, but for me um, it bounces off. I think it's a fairly similar reaction then as to now, which is, okay, but why? But why, JMS? But why? If this was a more compelling character... I, well, ooh, if it was a character period. If it was a character period. We've had our one-off weirdo bad guy. Sebastian mm-hmm. was the counterpart yeah. to Justin, the emissary that has been there with the, the, the ancient race for so long and they know their ideology in and out and they're a living embodiment of it. That would be excellent. And you know what made Sebastian work? It wasn't just the funny, cool Jack Ripper reveal, the but time spent, the time spent, and the allow the allowance that the actor had to embody a full fledged character who who himself was an embodiment of an idea. Hey, he drinks chamomile tea. Yeah, it's just you, you, you nailed it succinctly. Just why, James? <laughs> Why do you have this old man walking around with a cane telling us all of this? Why not just oh, have Anna? Why not just okay, have Morden? Why not? Why? why? What happened to Dr. Cheng? 
She keeps bringing up old Dr. Chang and he knew all of this stuff. What, did he not want to work with the Shadows? Did they plug him into a ship? Did they explode him? Why couldn't it be him? At least internally we would know who that is because we've heard about him for two seasons as well. Yeah. Just Was Justin on the ship with them? Or was he there before? How did Justin get here? Who is this loser? He's just such a loser to me. He's drinking tea. He's doing a lot of uh, hand gestures to get a point across. Hey, you drink tea. I drink tea and I have hands. So I'm Justin. I'm a middleman. (laughs) Is there... To give it praise, what I think Justin is supposed to do on a acting level, you cast this older gentleman, you have him dressed in that outfit... He is a lecturer. He's literally lecturing Sheridan about why the shadows are good. So you get an old man to be a... The metaphysics, Yeah, to to lecture about the metaphysics. What do you think about that as as an approach here? Whether you think it works or not, do you think there's any validity to that? Because I always look at him as a university professor almost who's who's trying to teach you a lesson. No, I, I, I get where you're coming from with that. I've never really thought about him in that way. I see him more as a weirdo, great uncle type. Yeah. You don't give him that much consideration, is what you're saying. You just see him as like some weird dude that just says a bunch of shit and then leaves. It's like, you know what? I've got life figured out, mate. I, I've got it figured out. He he reminds me more like I think you can kind of tell where I'm going with the voice that I just put on the old bloke down at the pub who always has like he sits in the same spot. He's too intellectual for me. You know what he comes across as? He comes across as one of those academics who made eugenics and or Nazism seem like it's completely valid is what I would label him as. Somebody who is, oh, well, they're a professor. So what they're saying must be... Yeah, yeah, they got caught up in it. Or, well, because they're saying there must be some truth to it. They're they're an academic. They're a social socialite of some sort. They're, They're a person of high esteem. They think that the human race shows great potential. When all this is over, we can be riding high. The first to rebuild, making things our own way. But the only thing that's standing in our way now is you. Volans are making cannon fodder. So they are, I think it was like with a hundred or so races, they've interfered genetically Mm. to create Telepaths. telepaths. Because they are weapons against the shadows, which we have already seen. Yes, we figured that out, but we didn't know that the Vorlons made that happen. And it's one of those pieces of information where it makes sense. Yes, but we did already know the fact that the shadows or slash their associates intercept them. Intercepted the telepaths of several species. So apparently not just the Narns. 
Oh, they eradicated the they nuns. Eradicated the they eradicated They teamed up with Psychor. Our good friends yes. at Psychor made sure to help us out with this one. And you and you just gulp going, oh, Earth sucks. Just, Earth sucks. Just a casual reminder, Earth is bad in this show. But what do you think about uh, Vorlons, uh, the reason that telepaths exist? Because up until this point, the viewer has been led to believe that this is just a universe where, genetically speaking, or evolutionary-wise speaking, telepaths just came to be, that people just have telepathic uh, individuals in their societies. So to now reveal, actually, no, this isn't a world where telepaths are an evolutionary step forward or elsewhere. It is just people playing around with us and creating them yeah. by force. What do you think about all of that? Changes Besta. How so? Change like because Besta really believes that. So when you think about him and his entitled bullshit, it changes it now. It's really hilarious, isn't it? Because it's like, oh, you're even more pathetic. He's a little eugenics freak. He's Mr. Superiority. And as Sinclair pointed out in season one in Infection, when you become the fanatic, you become the enemy, right? And they were all about perfection and genetic purity and being the best, yet there is no such thing. It's all it's all hoopla, it's all nonsense. And Bester has been a guy who's had a reason to think that because he has superpowers. Mm-hmm. But now we learn, no, 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 you has superpowers because some other superpower decided that you should have that because they need you to be a gun against this superpower over there. In fact, you're lesser than a normal human because normal mundane humans are just the way we are supposed to be. You have been manufactured for one specific purpose and anything else you ascribe to that isn't true. That's you ascribing meaning to nothing. And it does alter your perspective on his line about, well, telepaths don't belong on the front lines. Oh, that's good. I really appreciate that Babylon 5 decided to casually explain how telepaths exist in this world because... And that they've only been around like a hundred years. At least for humans. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm human centered. You're human. Oh, pro Earth, but uh, I can see free Mars, free Mars. No, not the Marsies. But there's a there's a push and pull, isn't there? Because I can see many people not liking this uh, reveal because you're over explaining your world. Sometimes less is more. Sometimes you don't need to tell us that literal Minbari Jesus is actually a human guy named Jeff Sinclair who traveled back in time to manufacture the war, blah, blah, blah. But we like that anyway. And sometimes you may not need to explain why telepaths exist in this world, but I don't know. B5 manages to explain these things in 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 the material where I don't feel like it's limiting rather than it is is actually expanding upon things. How do you feel about that and do you feel similarly? Yeah, I think that that's an excellent way that you put it. It doesn't feel limiting, it feels expanding. 
And it gives a wall on a darker streak to them. And I love where they go with this as well. Like, just fuck off. This isn't your galaxy anymore. Your time is done. Stop playing with us. We're not your toys. The whole point of this conversation that Sheridan is thrust into is to convince him why the shadows are right and to join them. But um, we'll get into the whole shadow mythos and lore and why they are the way they are. But an argument point that I, I really liked coming out of these people, particularly Morton, not just because he's a guy we know, but just Ed Wasser delivers it with such venom in his voice, is to point out how the Vorlons are the bad guys, how the Vorlons are, are the manipulating ones manipulating you. you. We aren't manipulating you. We're, we're giving up you a front. We're giving you a choice. We're giving you the ability to grow and learn, but the Vorlons are limiting you and manipulating you. I, I just... It's 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 still an invalid type of argument point to make, and that's the whole entire thing is Sheridan has already made up his mind. He already knows his beliefs, and we align with Sheridan because he's our main character, and we've seen the suffering that's been inflicted by both the Shadows and the Vorlons. But I, I do appreciate, again, appreciate and enjoy Morden just dripping with absolute fury and disgust about how the Vorlons have come in and tweaked us and and made us look at them favorably and that it's so creepy and weird because we think it's creepy and weird. We don't like it when we're viewing it, but the Vorlons have been presented as the good guys because they've been literally there for us. Telling us every telling us the things we need to know when we need to know them apparently. You are not ready. Who decides that? For him, what that lady. Who decides that? Oh, the Vorlons decide that. Who made them the people that decided they did? Well, why? Because they said, and that's enough. And see, that's the type of argument the shadows are making here. Mm-hmm. Let's let's open up that can of worms. Rachel, mm-hmm. what do you think about the reveal of why the Shadow War exists in the first place? I really like it. I really, really like it. Because... It makes so much more sense that it's a war of ideologies and also, in lots of ways, a proxy war. And it's a war that has raged on so long that what is the, what is the point? The, where does this end? How do we know when this is... Prove? Yeah, how do we know when this is won? this battle because by design the shadows end game of winning is to just keep perpetuating violence and war and destruction so that you can grow and evolve and natural selection and so how do you how do you end the war if one of the points of the war is to keep continuing war all the time to keep continuing violence and destruction and mayhem Mm -hmm. how do you prove that you've won if one of the reasons if one of the ways of proving you've won is to keep trying to prove that you win and then the volons are the exact same they're all order they're all you have to exist in these boxes maintain order which is also an indefinite goal and 
how do you know what the 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 ideal of that is? How do the Volons know that? They don't, and they keep changing the rules. They keep changing things. They keep they keep restructuring it and remolding it depending how things are not going their way. Oh, what's that? The shadows have this technology. I guess we should make a new sub-race within these races that have these telepathic powers, and we won't help guide that in any way. So the humans can be in disarray by having telepaths, because, ah, whatever, we don't care. As long as they do what we want when we want them to do it, that's good enough. It's like, what? what? You're not being very orderly right now, Vorlons, but uh, you like the order versus chaos stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I will admit, I rolled my eyes when I first heard it. I went, oh, okay, this is what it's going to be. We're going to... We're going to do this thing. All right. Uh, feels very... Uh, somebody just came out of university writing class and philosophy class yeah. and they really wanted to put that in their, in their show. But having consumed everything of B5, I love it as well because it's there. All of it's there. All of it's there. It's always been there. Before? During and after they're gone, we see this ripple out after they've left the show, the Vorlons and the Shadows. We see the validity of both of the, the, the camp's points of view. We see characters become better people, societies become better people in moments or, or in long terms and short terms because of the order and chaos that is being uh, perpetuated and being put forth by the Shadows and Vorlons. So... Even though I first roll my eyes and go, oh, that's stupid. The the show also points out that it's stupid, but it is something that has a, a source behind it for these aliens to believe. So it isn't um, just uh, unfounded uh, mm-hmm. sci-fi, ooh, look at me, philosophy nonsense. It it, it actually has uh, has has something something to it. Now... What do you think about specifically the the reveal of the shadows ideology? Because Again, they've just been nebulous until now. Yeah, it makes sense. It is a good payoff to the breadcrumbs that we've been given about the shadows and certain ways that they've gone about things their shady deals, them encouraging Rifa to start all of those wars because it's creating more chaos and more conflict. Stoking the flames back on Earth by getting in with the government and giving uh, Clark the the keys to the car and helping him with his... uh, uh, xenophobic uh, totalitarianism. Mm-hmm. It is logical, too, because there have been previous episodes where they don't understand why the shadows do what they do, but there's also a deliberate point to it. Why are they just jumping in here, blowing a bunch of shit up, and then leaving? Why are they doing that? And there was a, there was a almost a, a, a scapegoat to that of, oh, they're drawing in all of these people to this one point so they can kill all these refugees, which would be devastating morale-wise. But 
Yes, that was a point of it, but I think another aspect is that's just them. They walk over, kick over the ant's nest, and expect them to rebuild and be better, stronger. Or die. Or die. And if they die, then they didn't deserve to be around. And I like very much how Justin tries to justify the extermination of whole species and races by being, well, that's unfortunate that some do have to pass for the rest of us to get on. A few get lost along the way. Yes, and that's unfortunate. I don't think it was ever easy, but you can't let that get in the way of the dream. Sheridan shoots his way out of that room. Uh, We know what happens to Morden. We see what happens to Anna. We just spent like 15 minutes meeting this new freak who's just lecturing us. And we just leave him in a cut. We just cut to something else Mm -hmm. and it's like, oh, I guess Justin's gone too. Yeah. Okay. Bye. I I don't know if I needed a reaction shot of him too, but just there's even a level to the way that this episode present is presented where they throw him away between a cut. It's like, yeah, yeah, we're done with him. Throw him out. Very disposable. Yeah, which makes it feel less on the rewatch. Sheridan isn't buying any of this. He shoots his way out. He he gets injured in between cuts. That's also a weird thing. Well, you know that Anna's dumb because she didn't check for a second weapon. If she knew her husband, she knew he would have a second wep- weapon and a ship full of nukes. They don't call him John Nukem Sheridan for nothing. And uh, Black... Or was it? Uh, uh, Starkiller. They don't call him Starkiller for nothing. But... Uh, he is all bloodied, scratched up. He's making his way out of that room. He's now on a balcony. We get a gorgeous shot of him overlooking the uh, city in Zaha Doom of the shadows. And he looks up and there's a nice big sky glass dome for yep. him to fly his ship through. Uh-huh. Very convenient, by the way, uh, that these underground that dwelling people have this big dome there. Their city's underground for security purposes. Hey, hey, come on, come on. That dome is usually pretty secure. They don't expect a white star to fly through it, I guess. But he flies his uh, ship through it to go boom, boom. Anna, she does a full-on Darth Vader, Star Wars-y, join me, John. No more white star. No more white star. Join me, John. Here I am with my hand. You may love me even though I'm not the Anna you knew. Come on, John. And she's bathed in red lighting. See... That was moody and atmospheric. Yeah. That worked. Mm. Uh, but what does John do? He hears Kosh in his head. We've seen him see Kosh jump. in a mirror earlier. And uh, Kosh tells him to jump, jump. Jump now. And, uh, he does. Mm-hmm. He does. He jumps into... He doesn't into... jump right when... No. Immediately. He has, he has a few moments to think about it. Jumps into a big chasm. We see his body go, and my favorite part of the episode happens. The slow-mo shot of Anna Sheridan screaming as she realizes she's going to get a nuclear blast to the face. I, I unabashedly, unironically like that sequence. I think it's gorgeously shot. I like the soundscape to it. The way it's lit, just also, it's a fucking brutal fate for a character, and it's just, it's just awesome. It just rocks. 
it, it rocks its socks. And yeah. so we are left on a series finale where we've won, but also we've lost. Uh, there's a lot of cliffhanging elements. Is Sheridan alive? What's going to happen now with the war? Where Where's Mr. Garibaldi going? How do you feel about it in terms of that, of a series, season finale, leaving you on the hook and making you want more? How effective is it at that for you? 70%? Like, I'm like, the things that it wants me to be interested in are not the main things that I'm interested in. Like, I I feel like I'm like, ah, oh, okay, we know what the Volans and the Shadows want, sort of. We, I, I want to know what happens to Sheridan, but I don't think that he's dead. What about Garibaldi? That's a that's probably my yeah, that's that's yeah. probably the cliffhanger that I care the mm-hmm. most about. Even I mean, that's why I was leaving it long. Even though I know where it goes, and that's not even me saying negative. I just like even though after these rewatches, I know where it yeah. goes. That still hits. The Garibaldi is taken during the battle. Mm-hmm. That is the one that really lands for me. The rest of it is serviceable. And the it's, fact that like. Corwin is the one that delivers the news. It just lacks that emotional punch that, say, seeing Kosh did mm. or the fear of the Night Watch brewing in season but two where they it's have... Doesn't, it's not heart-wrenching it's the not, way that a season... Or heart-racing, mm, I would say, in that, that way. Like, Chrysalis, my heart is beating out of my chest. There's so many things happening and so many things left unanswered but you know that they're going to answer them here it is look my heart does race a bit at times but i i finish it off going okay i'll watch season four Mm -hmm. when when i'm good yeah i'm not immediately wanting to put the next disc in like i am with the others i'm glad that i don't have to wait a year like i can watch it at my own leisure like, it is not like the other two finales that we've rewatched already, where it's like, next disc immediately. Well, Ryan, it's time. What was that? I can't hear you. What was that? It's time. It's time. Is it, is it yum yum time? No. No? We, we did the Yum Yum Energy review already. Okay, so so what other times do we have? Is it peanut butter jelly time? Because I don't have any jelly. We're, we're not Americans. We have jam. So, uh, no? No, not jam as in we're jamming out, but it's no. also a, a type of uh, fruity spread. So what time is it, Rachel? Come on. I don't want to say it because I don't want you to say the thing that you always say. But if I say then, it, then I'm going to say it anyway. Then so you don't always say it. But this is the part of the show where we. Oh my god! 
the part of the show where we talk about an actor or actress that starred in this episode, whether they're a recurring role, a minor role, a one-off role, or a main star. Mm-hmm. We go over the works of this performer, what we thought about them in the episode, any interesting pieces of trivia that we have picked up, and we're looking at Melissa Gilbert, who mm-hmm. is Anna Sheridan, the thing that is obvious to note down everybody does this and it's the reason she's in Babylon 5 is Uh, she was married to Bruce she was Bruce Boxleitner aka Sheridan's real life wife at the time so that is why she is in Babylon 5 it is a and I I guess I do mean this with negativity it is an obvious case of nepotism Mm -hmm. so she's here and I I, 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 now I do feel bad because whenever we do spotlight performers, we don't always come at them with, I don't like the performance. There are a few that we've had that about. I don't like the performance. I, I'm, we've already kind of gathered that during this discussion, but yeah. I did think it would change on this watch because I knew we were looking yeah. at her in the spotlight realm and I just saw through the character into the actor and their deliberate choices, their hand gestures, the vocal delivery, the head tilts, the smiles. Mm -hmm. It was a level of too much artifice. You could argue that Anna is a, is a, a, is a pretender, but Mm. I found her stilted. I found that she lacked on screen charisma, not just with Sheridan, but her talking next to Morden, talking next to Justin, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not won over by the casting of this actress, and I, I do wonder if Anna would be a better character if there was somebody else playing this role. I'm not even saying that the previous actress who, who they cast would have been better. I don't know, but I, I do know that over the years. She, uh, Melissa Gilbert's portrayal of Anna Sheridan, has never worked for me. And I was hoping that it would work for me on this watch. just didn't. What do you think about it overall? It's mostly okay. Mostly okay. That's what I'm going to go with. Like, it's like everything has a decision, but I can feel and see every decision that the actor is making. I never really think about Anna as a character. I'm sorry that I couldn't tell you myself. I'm sorry for leaving you alone for so long, not being able to get word to you. But that's all behind us now. We're together Mm. again. Is your perception altered in any way, knowing that it is Bruce Boxleitner's wife at the time. Because I knew that going in. I I knew that. And so it does alter it for me. I do think, oh, that's his wife. And they cast him because they thought that it would just naturally work because they're in love in real life. And I I, I don't think that it does. Um, I think what gets me more is the fact that they have the flashback where it isn't the same actress. And then they show her. And she's still that awkward, artificial, and weird. It's like, what the f- What? 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 What the what? Why? 
yeah. we needed that flashback to show us the before to the after of Anna. But instead, she's played the exact same way. So it just highlights the issue even further for us looking at the performance. But do you think, though, do you think if you didn't know that this was Bruce Boxleitner's real-life wife at the time. I that would there think would that be they a... did a shit job casting. You do? Yeah. Okay. Is she that bad? Um, I just feel like I'm I'm dogpiling um, on her because I don't know if anyone not... really likes this portrayal. She's not that bad. It's just when you look at a scale from Jinxo to David Warner of quality of B5 guest spots. Hmm. She's closer to Jinxo. She's but she's pretty in the middle. She's no the teenage telepath girl in Legacies, right? She's no that. But she, she just is, if it wasn't the fact that she was Anna Sheridan, the mm. character's important, she would just be another one of those... I would totally forget about her. She would just be another one of those blasé, neh, guest spot actors that pop into Babylon 5 every once in a while. You know who she reminds me of, actually? Somebody that you didn't care for, but I didn't mind as much. The episode Hunter Prey mm. of Babylon 5... Uh, had that lady who's the real-life partner of uh, Jimmy Smits, and she was the Earth Resistance mm. contact that Sheridan had, and she was all sexy and sultry, and he had to give her information. Do you remember this? Yes, I and, do. And you didn't like her, and you didn't no. find her natural, and you didn't care for her, even though you're like, she's not necessarily a bad actress, I just don't really... She's yeah. not bringing anything for mm-hmm. you in this. I, I relate Melissa Gilbert's performance to that, but instead, mm. you have to care... Because yeah. this is an important character. If mm-hmm. she was, if Melissa Gilbert played that role in Hunter Prey, I don't even think I would have a problem with her. I would just be like, oh, yeah, you know. Yeah, whatever. She, she just didn't make much of an impression, but that's fine because the character isn't important enough. So that's me poo-pooing on Melissa Gilbert's performance. Are we ready for some bio-info? Have you seen her in anything else? Yes. I had a skim over her work. And she was somebody that I know she was in Little House on the Prairie. Never have watched an episode. I have I, not either. I've never watched an episode. I It's not my thing, okay? Uh-huh. I, I'm aware of its existence. I know it was a big thing. It is the defining of her career. It made her what she is. Uh, I have heard her voice in Batman the Animated Series as, uh, as Batgirl, as Barbara mm-hmm. Gordon. And then everything else I looked at, I am not familiar with. Not really. There was there was not a thing in there that I went, oh, oh yeah, that that. Even if she wasn't something I've seen, there was no role where I went, oh, that was her. Yeah. Not one I'm single like, thing. Oh, I I would have seen that. Like she was in an episode of Seventh Heaven. What? You're kidding me. No. She was. She was. Was she in Gilmore Girls? I did not see that. She was not. I looked it up. She was not in Gilmore Girls. (laughs) I think we're running out of cast members that was that was in Gilmore Girls. I had a look the other week just to see how many are in Gilmore Girls, and and there's not that many actually. Okay. Uh, She was also in an episode of Touched by an Angel. Of course, she was. 
of course she was. Do you remember her in any of these roles that you've seen her in? Though? I remember her in Seventh Heaven. Okay, so what was she doing there? Um, I did look up the plot, but I remember this episode. Um, she's like a career woman who's getting counselling with the Reverend. Oh, is she any good? Do you remember? Do you have an impression? She like it was like a lot of episodes. It was like a lot of episodes of Seventh Heaven, where it's like you don't really give a shit about the dad's plot. It's just like the mum in the episode is dealing with them throwing a birthday party for her dead mum. Okay, like that's a weird thing. That's interesting. Um. I don't know anything about Seventh Heaven, so I don't know the hot takes of like, well, it's agreed upon, Ryan, that everybody hates the dad's plots. But when it's a mum plot centered thing, that's when it's real. I know nothing about Seventh Heaven other than I am pretty sure that the that the priest character, that the yeah. the, the reverend character mm-hmm. was played by uh, the dude from Star Trek, the motion picture, who yes. as an yeah. actor... Um, Mm -hmm. let's just say he has a very disturbing and criminal private life and personal life that you can look into in your free time, people, but just be warned, it's, it's sick. So there's that. It, it, it's really made people not like Seventh Heaven. Heaven. (laughs) Yeah, it's aged it, it's aged it real well. It does, it does impact things. Um, the other thing that I'm fairly sure that I I have seen but I'd completely forgot Mm. about is she was in an episode of Fat Actress. The Kirstie Alley television show that ran for like eight episodes? Yes. I never saw an episode of it. I never seen anything of it. I just remember it being a big deal for Kirstie Alley at the time but then it failed, so now no one talks about it at all. And it's about her failing as an actress, and then the oh. show failed. Um, but she's in it as herself. That was going to lead me into what I noticed in her career a lot. There are many projects where she plays herself, do, do you where she appears know, as herself. Do you want to know a little bit more? About fat actress, yeah, yeah, sure. I just wanted to highlight that I I noticed that she played herself a lot, and I I would imagine because she was one of the main characters in Little House on the Prairie, I would imagine even one of the most popular characters mm. that she would have a career where she can just turn up in anything as herself, and it'll be like, oh look, it's the actress from Little House on the Prairie, but she's now a grown woman, and that's not what they do with her. Okay, what is it then? She was president of SAG. Oh, so she was the president of the Screen Actors Guild. Mm-hmm. So it's just like, hey, you're oh. Melissa Gilbert. You're the president of SAG. He's just like, got into a car accident, rear-ended her. And he's just like, I have always said that if I could just see you, then I would get a career. And she's just like. Who said this? What the fuck? It's just like some hanger on from Kirsty Allen who's oh, right. driving her car and then hit Melissa Gilbert. No. Because he was distracted by calling out after Carmen Electra and then Carmen Electra attacks him after Melissa Gilbert. And they cancelled the show. <laughs> 
I, I, yes. I, I do I, not believe yes. that. That sounds like an, an amazing premise for an episode. Well, like, it cuts back to Kirsty Alley, I believe, in a, a disabled toilet cubicle being talked to by a woman that, that is, like, a character actor in, his, in so many so many things. I didn't realize talking about character actors. I didn't realize that Melissa Gilbert was related in some fashion to the actress Sarah Gilbert. I, I didn't know that until looking up a bit about Melissa's life and her background. I always look at Melissa Gilbert as oh Bruce's wife at the time, now mm-hmm. ex-wife, so who was, who was cast her- in B five because nepotism. Who and- was her poppy? I think it's pop. Poppy Harry? Oh, I'm not too sure. Uh, I'm not too sure. I know she had a very strong, tight-knit relationship with Michael Michael Landon, who was the one of the lead actors, the father in uh, uh, Little House on the Prairie, and she also had her acting mentor, Patty Duke, who mm-hmm. was very important. She even gave a eulogy at Patty's funeral. So I know mm-hmm. those things, but I'm not too sure about where you're leading Her that. granddad... Mm-hmm. On one side was Harry Crane. Okay. Creator of the Honeymooners. Oh, that's interesting. And, I didn't realize that. A, a writer of a great many comedy scripts. Okay. I watched a clip where she's talking about um she's talking about him and she's just like, ah, uh, like he was he was just my granddad and like, you know, we would have birthday parties and they would come over and they would tell stories. And what made her realize that her granddad was important was seeing a movie poster of a movie that she loved from when she was a kid and seeing his name on it. And that poster was up in the Smithsonian. Oh, that is, that that's incredible to hear. I didn't realize this connection and that's that that's the kind of story... That is always uh, intriguing when you have these actors who, for somebody like me, I know nothing about Melissa Gilbert, so I just assumed, oh, she's a child actor, she just got into it because she was a cute little kid, but she has a family Mm -hmm. that has connections within the industry, and that's not uncommon either, but I don't always assume, oh, they have ties, and you don't know where those ties lead to, so hearing even just real-life story about her discovering that herself is is rather rather neat. It's really cute. So her first credit on IMDb is was uncredited in the film. Um, she was niece in The Reluctant Astronaut. You want to guess how old she was? Four. Three. Ah, I was close. <laughs> she could have been two when she was filming. Um, and I have a few fun facts. Um, so one is that um, so she remembers auditioning for the part of Laura for Little House on the Prairie. She was one of about 500 young girls, but she was the only one whose screen test was sent to be considered to NBC. Wow. Could you imagine the ego you would get knowing that you defeated 499 other girls? Mm-hmm. 
and she appeared in 191 episodes of the 205. That's impressive of... for, for a child actress. They, there's more leeway for them. More not to than appear. anyone else. More than anyone else. She was in more episodes than any other cast member. Oh, I didn't realize. Wow, you'd assume that like the parents would be in every episode. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe one of them. No, no. Oh, wow. And I have another story to tell. So I, I'm going to approach this in a particular way just because I find this the most interesting. Uh, okay, everybody. So sit down, grab your cups of tea. It's getting cold now, so you better start drinking it. Might I say, I know we're in the spotlight section. It is fucking ludicrous to see Mr. Morden just chatting like a normal freak and holding a <laughs> and holding a holding a cup of tea. Drinking from a little cup of tea. I don't need to see him carefully place it on a saucer. That's that's not an image I should ever see from Morden. That's not chaos. That's not chaos. <laughs> But what is your tale that you're going to sing for us? Yes. In 2016, Gilbert ran for U.S. Congress. Oh, did she run against Trump? <laughs> she ran in Michigan. Dang. In there, uh, which, and she won. Oh. She won the Democratic primary. <gasps> Wait, she was a Democrat? She's a Democrat? Oh. Uh, yeah. That would upset Brucey. He's a diehard Republican. And it was apparently a pretty secure Republican area. Bruce would have been and shaking his fist going, Melissa! She was the best shot that they had of swinging that area. Uh, but she had to drop out. Did Bruce, did Bruce hire somebody to break her legs with a crowbar? No. What did Bruce do? Had to do with her neck problems, <gasps> which is also weirdly something that gets brought up in the 2007 episode of Fat Actress. Wait, like, wait, you know, did, she, did, she did got... Kirstie Alley's friend crash into Melissa Gilbert's car so hard to give her neck problems, which stopped her from winning a seat in the 2016 uh, election in Michigan? And you're telling no. me that that, no. that fat actress got cancelled? No, I'm saying like how that show isn't on right now is a weirder, surprise. To me, it's weirder than that. But it was a weird coincidence that it's like her getting into a car accident and then complaining about a stiff neck. Because I probably shouldn't laugh because this is this is serious, people. <laughs> if you're laughing, you go to jail, okay? And so, then we're gonna take your tea away from you. She said... Um, and we know how Americans react when uh, they're threatened with tea. <laughs> about tea. They throw it in the, the fucking water out of spite. <laughs> you know how you guys react about you, you, when we mess with your tea, okay? <laughs> Get a little bit crazy about it. <laughs> you join a bunch of spider people who provide so it for you. She dropped out because of health concerns. Her doctor said that it would be, like, be irresponsible for her health to continue, um, citing the fact that a 2012 accident. And, but, like, before this, she's also had back and spinal problems. I'll get to the 2012 accident, but in 2010, Gilbert won 
Uh, like she had surgery to replace a disc as well as a vertebra in her lower spine. Yeah. Which was after she found out that she had a broken back while she'd been working on a musical for months. Oh, so she probably broke her back doing a musical, huh? Yeah. Oh, and she didn't even notice because she yeah. was just too busy dancing. They gotta dance, Melissa, so, dance. Then they were like, okay. Um, Do we know what the musical was? Uh, it was a. Related to Little House on the Prairie. Oh, so sure. it was a Little House on the Prairie. Okay, cool. cool. Yeah. So it wasn't Rent. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Um, so, but the surgery was described as a complete success. So that wasn't what was indicated in 2016 as leading to her health problems. So what was? It was a 2012 incident. She fell over. On Dancing with the Stars. No! You know how she fell over, though? Bruce made sure to wax the floor real hard so his ex-wife would have like, a bit of a tumble. She, over. And then, so when she runs for the Democrats in 2016, she'll have to drop out, and Bruce can clap his hands going, another win for the Republicans. Yes, yes. So apparently. I'm going to start selling, it, selling hair plugs, because I'm bald. Yeah, people often forget about how Bruce Bruce Boxleitner's career for a very long time was about selling a bunch of hair growth products that is a bunch of nonsense. <laughs> so she apparently fell over and hit her head on, I think it was the thigh of her dance partner, and that like gave her a concussion. He must and, have and a pretty strong thigh with her neck. Um. But yeah, that's the story of why she had to drop out of the election, and that that's the that's the through line that I have. And then I had another fusion at C five six after I injured myself on Dancing with the Stars. I had some degeneration in the C five six disc, and that was he did not do that surgery. That was done elsewhere, and it didn't fuse. And so I had all of this pain, and apparently mm. the hardware was boring holes in my vertebra above and below. What would you rate Zaha Doom? Yum being bad and yum yum being good. I think this is possibly one of the most tricky that we've had to rate because we've given it a lot of slack and a lot of praise. This is an important episode. This is an essential episode. This is a top-rated episode of Babylon 5 in general, but we do have our own niggling issues with it. So, Rachel, everyone, every yumling no. out there is waiting to spit why, out their tea. Why do you want me to go first? Why don't you go first? Because I'm leading it up for you, so tough. No, so they're I want to hear what they're, they're, you have too, to say. Too, too bad, too bad, too bad. What do you give it? Yum being bad, yum yum being good. It's not overly enthusiastic. I'm not glad to be doing this. I give it a yum yum. Yum yum. Brave. <laughs> so brave. <laughs> Hashtag speak your truth. Uh, are you going to give it a yum? I don't know. This is one of those where I see both of the sides of it, but... Is it good I... or is it bad? Yeah, Ryan? there's no half yums allowed, is everybody. Is it good there's no... or is it bad? It's a yum. yum. It's okay, a yum. It's I, I just have too many issues with it as, as an episode, as a series season finale, the, a payoff to things. I hate Justin. 
I don't like Zaha Doom, the planet, when they go there. I don't like Anna Sheridan. I just don't. There's too many things that I just actively either don't like or don't care about. And that is not what should be happening in this moment. I don't think it's a good season finale. I just find that there's more good than bad. I'm happy that we got answers to things rather than I'm happier than I watched it overall. Yes. Yes. So, Ryan. Next week. We're going to be doing the recap, yes. right? Yes. There's no season four episode for next week. We're going to hold off. We're going to do the recap. Mm-hmm. We're going to go through season three. We're yeah. going to rate and review things. We're going to go over what we've experienced, what's been new for us, what what changed the most, uh, talk about what we think of, of the characters and the themes and uh, what were the worst episodes, what were the best, uh, same with characters, all the good stuff that you have when you're looking back on season three mm-hmm. of Babylon 5, which I stated at the very beginning has often been my favourite season of mm-hmm. B5, but will it still hold that candle after this podcasting journey? You'll have to tune in on your podcatcher of choice next week for our Recap on season three. Where can people find us on social media, Rachel? Where, where, what do they have to do? Where do? What do they have to type? Tip, yum tap. yum pod or yum yum podcast. We are on practically all of your social medias. Mm-hmm. And if you are concerned, we're even we, still on Twitter. If it exists by the time this episode is published, maybe. And all of our stuff is in the description of this episode, including our email address where you can contact us directly at yumyumpod at gmail.com. If you have not rated and reviewed the show, we would like it. If you did so, it would help us out. It would make us very happy. and we appreciate it. We would like it and appreciate it. It would mean the world to us, and we would just like to hear your overall opinions and thoughts on what we do here. Uh, we have our Patreon. We have a lot of stuff happening over on our Patreon that you can support us at. For a little bit of money, you get a whole bunch of content. You get uh, to join our group Discord. But what kind of content are we making over there at the moment, Rachel, on our Patreon? Well, we we just talk a bunch with each other still, but just about different things. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. You're telling me we talk a lot? Yes. I find that rather hard to believe as I look at my over two hour long discussion on the and the rock crowd out no hiding place. Hey, do you know do you ever get weeded out by the fact that we have over probably over two hundred hours worth of content on just our main feed? Yeah. Yeah, I do. And like seriously? Did we need to do this? You have talked for more than 70 hours on Star Trek Discovery. How does that feel? I dispute that because mm-hmm. I don't think I personally have talked that much. No, no, no. That's how conversations work. So, uh, okay, people, no. go to our Patreon, support us. We talk about a bunch of things. Old We're Star Trek, space new Star above Trek. And beyond. Space Above and Beyond. Uh, the Alien movies, the uh, X-Men movies, Star Trek movies. A whole plethora of things, it is all there for you. But Jakar 
was in this episode, Rachel. I know he's tiring you out, Rachel. You're yawning in the corner going, Oh, Jakar, just say good eating to you so I can just go to bed because Sheridan has put me to sleep with his silly boy logic about time travel and fate and destiny. But Jakar was here. He was too busy I worrying about... I can't even about- say go jump off a bridge because... He jumps off a balcony. Sheridan is the type of guy that if his friend jumped off a bridge, he would also jump off a bridge. That's that's him. That's, if he was that's ordered to jump off a bridge, he would jump off a If bridge. his friend Kosh told him to jump, he does. And that's the, that's that's irresponsible. That's reckless. Yes. It's so unrealistic of a leader. Can you imagine if they Good eating to you, Ryan. Oh, 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 uh, uh good good e- good eating to you. To you, Rachel. I was just going to riff on those YouTube channels who, if they did like the modern YouTube takedowns of Babylon 5, they would just say so many times that Sheridan, what he did there, that's just such an unrealistic commanding choice. Jumping into a chasm like that? So irresponsible. Cancel the show. <laughs> <laughs>